Hi, I'm Tim Sanova, and welcome to Work Shouldn't Suck, a podcast about, well, that. On this episode, we'll explore 30 frequently asked questions about race-based caucusing in the workplace. How do I know they're frequently asked? Because my guests have had hundreds of conversations with individuals and organizations over the years interested in learning more about the caucus process, and they've told me that these are some of the questions at the top of most people's lists. For this episode, it's a pleasure to welcome back to the podcast the always awesome Courtney Harge and Nicola Carpenter. And I'm excited to announce that if you want to dig into this topic further with them, they're co-teaching a brand new four-week course online this fall, Race-Based Caucusing in the Workplace, The Why and the How. Head over to workshouldnsuck.co backslash courses to find more information about the course and to register. As a preview to this upcoming course, I thought it'd be fun to ask them about, in a kind of 73 questions with Vogue, some of the questions they frequently receive when people ask them about race-based caucusing in the workplace. We don't have 73 questions, but what we do have are two incredibly knowledgeable people whose answers are chocked full of expertise and insights. And even with these 30 questions, we'll just start to scratch the surface, which is why we created the course to dive into the content deeper. So let's get going. Courtney and Nicola, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tim. Happy to be here. Yeah, same. I'm excited. What is anti-racism, anti-oppression work? And in particular, anti-racism, anti-oppression work in the workplace. Anti-racism, anti-oppression work uh, is in all spaces, the act of interrupting and redirecting oppressive systems. Oppressive systems are at play at work. Capitalism is imbued <laughs> with uh, oppressive systems. And so the work of anti-racism and anti-oppression at work is interrupting how those systems are laid on top of how we do our jobs. What does accountability look like for anti-racism, anti-oppression work in the workplace? Accountability looks different than it looks, uh, I think, in other aspects of work. It's difficult to measure that we are 30% less racist than we were last week, or <laughs> that we have you know, improved our anti-racism by 20% over last quarter. Like, it's less uh, measurable than one would seem. It's more about uh, the workplace feels less hostile. There's less tension. Uh, there are ways in which it can be more productive because people are more willing to be honest and open in the work that they're doing. Uh, so accountability actually looks like a, a, a healthy, thriving, happy workplace um, in ways that may not be measurable, but are definitely tangible. And I think that accountability looks different depending on what you're talking about. Um, and I think that we talk about this more with caucusing. You know, there are very specific ways that we talk about accountability related to caucusing. I think that there are different ways that we talk about accountability related to, you know, it's smaller things. I think it's harder to talk about accountability in a large way and easier when talking about accountability in smaller ways. You know, how are you accountable in your specific job? How are you accountable in, you know, smaller little chunks? So I think it's easy. It's hard to talk about accountability in a huge chunk, but it's way easier to talk about a 
accountability in tiny your little pieces. So how are you accountable in, you know, this one decision? How are you accountable in this one smaller way? I think is a much easier way to approach this. And I think later we can talk more about accountability within the caucus structure and building accountability in the workplace through caucusing. I think that it becomes a lot easier to answer these big, hard questions when you start breaking them up into smaller pieces. What is race-based caucusing? So when we talk about race-based caucusing, I think that there are different ways of talking about it. Um, But what we're talking about race-based caucusing at work is splitting up into a people of color caucus and a white caucus and meeting regularly. Uh, We're specifically talking about meeting monthly and having spaces to understand that there are different things that need to happen in these two spaces and understanding that these need to happen separately, that we can't, you know, have these conversations all together without having these conversations separately. So that is what we're talking about when we're talking about race-based caucusing. I like to think of caucusing um, as uh, working out as somebody who doesn't always work out. Um, But in the same way that you don't train for a marathon at the marathon, many people like, or at least attempt to have really complex conversations around race and relationships when the stakes are super high in, in, in the course of their kind of day-to-day work interactions. Uh, one way to view caucusing is the workout before the event. It is a space where you are going to work on different things based on where you identify, but to work on them in spaces that are contained, that are supportive, and that are there to do the workout. Uh, you know, caucuses at their most simple are leg day, make you stronger for the rest of your of your encounters. Is a caucus an affinity group and an employee resource group the same thing? Caucuses, affinity groups, and employee resource groups can frequently be used to describe the same activity, but they are different. And frankly, in the same way that like sometimes people name things and do the same thing. Um, It can depend on place to place. I think for any one of these groups, it's very important to understand what the intention behind it was, what was started, what is the culture of the org. And if you're going to have multiple or if you're going to have just one, knowing what its purpose is, is actually more important than what it's called. And I think that sometimes organizations uh, hold up and say, we have an affinity group or we have an employee resource group and say, we're done, you know, like stamp of approval done. We don't have to do anything. And I don't think that that's a great approach. And oftentimes it can do more harm than good. There are lots of organizations that view employer research groups or affinity groups as groups to do free labor. They don't necessarily have, um, you know, they might have a, a, group of black employees not necessarily have a group of white employees doing the group, you know, doing the work that white people need to do, which is not, you know, beneficial. So I think that there are, you know, organizations that are are trying to do things and but might be doing it from a place of we want to look good instead of from a place of we want to actually make our our organization a better place to work and we want to actually fix things from a structural level and do the things that need to happen and have these conversations 
on a regular level and make changes that need to happen from those conversations. So whatever you call it, I don't think it necessarily matters as long as you are doing the things that need to happen. Why should companies provide space for caucusing in the workplace? My quickest response to that is if you don't provide the space, employees will take it. <laughs> it it's very much like a, a release valve uh, in the sense of people are having these conversations that are grounded in people's social location, grounded in their identity, grounded in race, class, any other oppressive system. And they're having these conversations in spaces that you don't necessarily want them to be having them, or, you know, it, it becomes a conversation around, like, an email actually becomes a conversation around race. Or if you look at some companies in the news, like, sometimes that Slack channel that you think is for fun turns into um, the space where people are having these conversations. And so the best answer I can provide for why companies should provide a container for these conversations is if they don't have a container, they will show up everywhere. Who should be caucusing? I think that any organization that wants to further their anti-racism work and put words into practice should be caucusing. Why would someone be part of a caucus? People approach caucusing and their participation in caucusing for a variety of reasons. Some People want uh, a safe space to be able to uh, work through some of the things that they need to work through at work with people who look like them or with a, a support that is familiar to them. Some people, frankly, feel like they just should participate and don't even know how to articulate uh, what their participation would do for them. Socially, the organization will change as uh you caucus. People who are doing the work will find that they are having deeper conversations or people may feel a greater sense of psychological safety. And while peer pressure is never uh, the strongest motivator, sometimes watching your colleagues change and watching relationships deepen because they are doing the work is an excellent motivator to get people to participate. People want to be connected to other people and seeing Growth and change and honesty emerge becomes a great reason for somebody to participate in a caucus. What do companies need to do before they introduce race-based caucusing in the workplace? So I think there's some things that can be helpful. I think that it could be helpful to become clear on why organizations are doing this and have some shared vocabulary. Having some kind of organization-wide anti-racism, anti-oppression training can be helpful to do this. Without some kind of shared language around it, there can be some uh, misunderstandings without this. Because caucusing exists within the current culture, and it's helpful to know that. You know, any kind of mistrust within the organization, any kind of conflict that arises within the organization will happen inside of caucusing. But that being said, caucusing can be a helpful container to work through some of these difficult conversations. So while it is helpful to have some of these things when start caucusing, it doesn't, you don't have to be a perfect organization to start caucusing. 
you can have caucusing as a as a way as a container to work through some of these things. You know, you don't have to be a perfect organization before you start caucusing. If that's the case, you'd never caucus. I mean, there is no such thing. There's no such thing as a perfect organization. You would never. It's, it's impossible. I want to echo that, and I also want to offer having a difficult conversation. I think leadership should have a difficult conversation with itself about how they are willing to change because caucusing as a process isn't necessarily linear. It's not like we're going to meet this often. And at the end, we're going to have these deliverables. It is a, a, a means a growth. It is a, an experience. And one of the downsides to people getting more comfortable at work is in that they will also share more about what is harming them or what is unhelpful for them. And leadership should be in a space to receive that, that they actually may not know everything that is wrong or harmful in their organization. And caucusing provides a space for that, which means that before you start caucusing, leadership needs to be prepared, not with a plan to fix everything, but to understand that you may hear or receive things that are happening that you didn't know. What do employees need to do before they start caucusing? I think uh, one of the hardest things for employees to do is really recognize that the way for change in this space is kind of embracing vulnerability. And so doing whatever an employee needs to do to kind of understand that, you have to be willing to show up to the caucus and you don't have to bear your soul every day, but you do have to be willing to say like, this space was harmful, or I don't understand this thing, or I'm not even sure why we're here. Like the vulnerability of questioning. Caucusing is not a webinar. It's not you sit and receive a bunch of information. It is kind of the active generating of the future you want to exist in. And that is a vulnerable position to be because you are in essence letting folks know like what is working, what isn't working, and what could change. And I recognize that a lot of employees, particularly employees of color, spend a lot of time building a protective and necessary wall from being vulnerable at work for a variety of reasons uh, that are historically informed (laughs) and being willing to let a bit of that go to go and participate and generate change is, I think, something that all the employees need to do while particularly empathizing as a person of color with what it means to do that as a person of color um, and be willing to do it anyway. How do people determine which caucus to attend? Caucusing participation should be based on how people self-identify. There's no way that the organization should assign folks necessarily because you just there are so many things you can never really know. For anyone who could participate in either caucus or who wants to engage uh, with caucusing um, as a multiracial person, first choose a caucus. Um, The only kind of quote unquote unacceptable option is trying to participate in both caucuses because uh, the the separation is a part of what feeds the process. But for those uh, who are unsure where they want to participate, 
it's very much about what is the type of work you would like to be doing. If you need to examine your relationship to whiteness and you want to see and like kind of see, see what that works like on you, how you are connecting with that, then I would suggest the White Caucus. If you very much want to build community and connection with POC, um, then you can choose the POC Caucus. This can get murky uh, because, you know, people are like, well, I want to participate in this or I want to create space or maybe I'm a white person who feels like I want to create community with POC. And the problem with that is the POC caucus at its core should it be a place that is absent and removed from whiteness as a concept. That's what one of the things that makes it a safe space. It is taking this however designated time to be able to step away from whiteness. And if in any of your engagement, you want to engage with your whiteness, your relationship to white supremacy, your relationship to whiteness as a construct, that work should be done in the white caucus. Not with POC, not in the POC caucus. How do you get people to attend race-based caucusing in the workplace if it's not mandatory? Yeah, I think that this is a question that people ask us sometimes without realizing that there's lots of things at work that uh, people do without it being mandatory. And I think this comes down to with how do, you, how do you get people to do anything at work if it's not mandatory? You know, what, what, are the, what are the ways that you get people to do work in your workplace currently? And, you know, how, how do you set those things up? You know, I mean, is it, is it conversations with your manager? Is it, you know, how are those things set up now? And maybe you can use those currently, which I think is how we've done it uh, at Fractionalis and Caucusing. Um, and I think that those things can be successful. You know, is it is it those conversations with managers? Is it is it a conversation with someone else in the caucus? You know, oh, I, I noticed that you weren't, you know, someone within one of the caucuses noticing that someone isn't showing up, having a conversation. Hey, I noticed that you weren't at this caucus if, if they already know that this person is participating in one of the caucuses. Um, having that conversation with a person and seeing, you know, why that person wasn't there. You know, I think there's lots of different different ways to have those conversations um, with people to see if it's, you know, a discomfort having those conversations. If it's um, if it's something that the organization is doing that's fully new, and you know that person join the organization not thinking that caucusing was part of their organizational, you know, part of something that they were going to do with the job. That's, you know, one reason why they might not be joining. You know, maybe they have too much work that they're doing. You know, there's so many different reasons why someone might not be joining. But I think that it is really organization dependent. And I guess I would ask the question to the organization of how do you, how how are you, encouraging people to do anything within the organization. I also want to offer that, um, as I said earlier, people have these conversations. You'd be surprised at the number of people who want to participate. <laughs> um, reluctance to participate, uh, frankly, is frequently a leadership-driven question, and team members rarely ask it, like people who are not in leadership. 
leadership. How do I make people do that? And that's almost never a problem. <laughs> um, and, and I know it can be, and people will have different levels of participation and some people um, may have distrust. There may be a variety of valid reasons why people don't participate. But if you get to a point where you are kind of set up and are discussing caucusing, rarely do people not show up or not participate or just say, you know what, now we're not going to do that. It, they very rarely just kind of wither. How often do caucuses meet? We've done an hour once a month. Each caucus should be allotted the same amount of time and resources. It also shouldn't be considered um, like time off. Like it shouldn't be like a lunch break <laughs> or a, it is, it is in fact a, a meeting. Sometimes caucuses can take place over lunch, but it should be considered work. It is a it is a working meeting. So yes, but once a month for about an hour. Is there an ideal number of people to be in a caucus? The ideal number is everyone who is ready and able to participate. It may take plenty of time and some more trust building to get what is a critical mass of participation, but they should be frankly, uh, diagonal in that across your organization and at all levels of leadership. Everyone can benefit from community and conversation, frankly. And so I think the ideal number is everybody who wants to be there and is willing to engage. If people are not engaging or actively sabotaging the space, it is less than that. <laughs> let, let, let those people not have to participate or not participate if they are undermining the process. But yeah, the number of people who are ready and willing and able to engage is the ideal number. Yeah. I would say more than two and anything more than 15 people can get slightly unwieldy. And at that point, um, particularly for a white caucus, which tends to be more structured, which we can talk about a little bit further. Um, and you might want to engage more tools like breakout groups to have more in-depth conversations. If you start to have a larger group than, say, 15 people, it might start to get a little bit unwieldy to have full group conversations at that size. What happens during a caucus? How are they structured? I'll speak for the POC caucus. Um, and we've chosen to structure it uh, really with the guiding principle, um, as I said earlier, of this is an hour outside of the white gaze and where one can disengage from whiteness and white supremacy culture as a construct. And so it is a space in, during the caucus, we focus on what are the people who are gathered there in need of? Is it a check-in where everybody's like, this is how I'm feeling. This is what's going on. Is it like, I have this problem. Is it, this is, I have this success that I want to celebrate in this space. What are the people who are present able to offer and what do they need? And that is that hour is focused on the people who are present in the caucus without centering or even engaging in whiteness, white supremacy culture or, or, what white people may need or feel. And at White Caucus, it is very uh, structured. There's always a facilitator that usually rotates um, of someone in the group. And it is very focused on 
learning. Oftentimes there's homework um, and really is talking about, you know, whiteness, white supremacy, and how does it show up kind of in the workplace, in the lives and, you know, kind of interrupting that. What happens after a caucus meeting? So we talked a little bit about accountability earlier and something that is important in the caucus structure is accountability within caucusing. So there's a few ways of building in accountability within caucusing, but we think it's very important that the people of color within the organization understand what the white people are talking about within caucusing. So in white caucus, notes are always taken and the notes are always shared with the people of color caucus. Uh, this can be done in a few different ways. Um, we've tried a few different things. Um, we've had uh, people of color liaison and a white uh, caucus liaison uh, that have met in person. And then we've also tried out sharing those notes via a something like a Slack channel or something virtually. And both of those have worked. It depends on, you know, organizational capacity, what you want to try out. You can have those liaisons switch up. It depends on, you know, different things. But just as long as we make sure that our, uh, we make sure that those notes are taken every month and that those notes are shared so that, you know, the white people aren't just sitting in a room every month and talking without that just being shared. Because what we don't want to happen is to have that meeting turn into a staff meeting, you know, which would be the white people making decisions without people of color in the room, which would, you know, be not what we would want to get out of caucusing, because that would be, you know, white people making decisions, ex excluding people of color from the room, which is, you know, a terrible, terrible decision. It's just not what we want from caucusing. Uh, it would be the opposite of the opposite of accountability. For the POC caucus, uh, after really depends on, again, on what the folks present in the caucus needed. Uh, so sometimes it's follow-up. Sometimes there are questions that go to the white caucus, or sometimes there are just broader questions or um, things to be planned or determined or followed up on. But ultimately, it really depends on what do the people need in that meeting and then what what can be followed up on, what can be done next. Who's responsible for managing the caucus process? So everyone really is responsible for managing the caucus process, which can get a little bit overwhelming because sometimes if everyone is responsible, it means that it can fall into no one being responsible. So that's where it becomes really important to finding ways of structuring this process which I mentioned there are different ways of structuring this process. You can set up things like caucus liaisons, a POC caucus liaison and a white caucus liaison for set periods of time or that rotate or, you know, just making sure that you have structures set up to make sure that you understand kind of what the, what the responsibilities are so that you know who is responsible and for what period of time. And so you know that they, so that you know that they happen. Do you need a facilitator to get caucusing started or keep caucusing going? I think a facilitator is a great resource to kickstart the process and generate excitement if things feel a bit stagnant. The only caveat around facilitators is be sure to hire facilitators that could participate in the caucus. They will facilitate. 
So white folks in the white caucus, POC folks in the POC caucus. Can't we just all be in the same room to talk about this? How is this supposed to help address racism and oppression if it's just white people talking in a room together? So I like to share um, a very common metaphor in this space. And we talk about, uh, many people talk about, particularly in the American context, they talk about the context of the melting pot, right? That America is just all these different things thrown in together uh, to make soup. But it is an inherently violent metaphor. (laughs) It is in the making of the melting pot, you are literally burning, consuming things to form this one amalgamation of this this thing, this ideal quote unquote thing where we are all the same. But everything gets burned away in that process. And that is what can happen when we have this all the same room conversation where traditionally people of color have done a lot of burning and removing the things that make them quote unquote different from the dominant culture to exist in that space. Caucusing uh, embraces what I think is a better metaphor of the mosaic, where these individual pieces come together and they are still whole. They are still their own pieces coming together to form a cohesive unit. Caucusing allows for the individual pieces to mold and support and stay whole together so that Nothing has to be lost or burned away for the group to become cohesive or for everybody to exist together. I really appreciate that the burning up. So I know, I mean, a lot of people have heard about this concept of white fragility. I appreciate um, Sun Young Jin wrote about this concept of white flammability, um, which I feel like gets at this idea of, you know, burning up. But also white fragility feels like you have to coddle whiteness, but white flammability seems more constructive to um, to the 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 harm that white people can cause when in mixed spaces. So I think that that is something that can happen when that is not always seen by white people in uh, in spaces that are all together that really happen on a data basis within workspaces. Won't caucusing lead to further division and segregation? Doesn't this just amplify racism? I always like to take this question and understand what does further division or segregation actually look like? What does that mean? Doesn't just amplify racism. Racism and oppressive systems are in the paint. They're in everything. They're in everything we deal with. Um, So what would an amplified version of that look like? To Nicola's point, it's also an hour a month. Like, when has any one hour in an org completely altered the culture <laughs> of an organization? But mostly, to go to something I said earlier, these conversations are already happening. These conflicts, racism is already present in your organization. It's there. What this does is provide this safe space or this container or this release valve so that these conflicts aren't showing up in every space unexpectedly. This becomes a container to hold some of the things that, again, are are in your organization. They are there. 
And I think that something that uh, comes up when I hear this question also is that, sure, there are oftentimes, especially in workplaces, when there are groups of, you know, only white people in the workplace. Yes, there's not that often when there are groups of white people in the workplace talking about whiteness and the impact of whiteness at work. And I think that that is the, one of the differences that when people are asking this question, don't necessarily, aren't necessarily, you know, I think that this question comes from a fear of seeing a group of white people in a room without necessarily looking at like the intent of it and what the conversations are that are happening and the structure of it. If caucusing is working apart, working separately, when do we all come together to talk? Every other meeting. Simply. I mean, yes, it's more complicated than that, but caucusing really is just one one container. You know, if you think of the organization as being like a like a pantry, and you have a whole lot of different containers of jars and of all of your different lovely containers. Caucusing is just one of the containers. All of the other containers are different other kinds of meetings. So all the other meetings is when you come together. And those are all of the other meetings. You know, those might take other forms depending on your organization. You know, those are all of the other times you come together. And that really depends on your organization. You know, and what that, what those other containers hold is up to you. And what comes from caucusing might determine what those other containers are and what you need. You know, you might need to have conversations in other forms. You might need to have increase anti-racism trainings. You might find that you need that. You might need more conversations about how to have healthy conflict. You might find that you need that. You might find that you need more containers related to, I don't know, I'm failing at coming up with hypothetical containers that an organization might come up with. But you can fill that in with any other meetings or structures that you already have in place. Those are the all the other times that you come together within your organization. I will offer that in the time we've been doing this, that question is only ever asked by white identifying people. The POC who I've worked with both in our org and outside of the org never ask, when are we all going to have this conversation together? Never. What are the people of color saying about us white people when they caucus? It doesn't seem fair that they don't also have to report to the white people about what they talk about. Oppression, specifically racism, is a white person's problem. Whiteness, white supremacy, are the tools that we are addressing and in in race-based caucusing. It doesn't have to be fair, and the POC probably aren't talking about you. This is specifically why it's set up that that the people of color do not have to report back to the white people. It It makes it so that we have to practice this kind of report out and the imbalance in that report out. It makes some white people a little bit uncomfortable and that that should be the case. It's uncomfortable for white people not to know what's being talked about. That's that's fine. It should be that the white people in the organization, that we should not know what's happening in POC caucus. But 
we're invited to every single other conversation. Why do we think that we should be invited to this one hour a month? We should not. We should not. What gives us the right to know what happens in this one hour? Nothing. Can we also caucus by gender identity, sexual orientation in a class? Sure. I mean, you can caucus about whatever you want to, but it's also helpful to know that racism will show up in any space. And we often get this question asked by white people. We've often gotten this question asked by white women. And we want to make sure that this is not a deflection to buy specifically white people to hold on to other forms of oppression to avoid dealing with racism. So yes, you can caucus about everything. Sure, of course. But don't use that to avoid race-based caucusing. You know, keep race-based caucusing, do that, and make sure that you are, you want it, you know what you're getting out of these spaces and keep coming back to asking yourself what you, what you need in these spaces and what you're trying to get out of those spaces. What does it mean to have these conversations in the workplace? And what are companies losing by not caucusing? These conversations are already happening in the workplace. Always. Already. And there is, there's no way around that. What it does in this case is give resources and support so that these conversations can be more healthy or less, less secretive. It gives a means for uh, people to actually name things that they are experiencing. Because frankly, as I said, these conversations happen and they, they happen in ways that can be very harmful, very destructive. And simply organizations may never know that these conversations are being had or what's happening in them. Yeah, they may never know without caucusing um, to give a safe space and a healthy space. One of the benefits of caucusing, um, as I think I mentioned earlier, which is kind of surprising, is you actually may hear, not necessarily complaints, but you may hear about more harm that's happening. You may actually hear more negative things. And that is a win. Because those things still happened before. People just didn't name them. They didn't say them. You couldn't correct them. So having a space for these conversations to emerge, for people to be able to name some of their experiences, for people to be able to name some of their behaviors that, that we want to interrupt, means that you can actually impact, correct, and improve them. Where if these conversations are in the shadows, harm is happening and you just don't know. What if the organization's leadership board of directors, et cetera, doesn't want a caucus, either for themselves or for the organization to offer it. Whenever we get this question, I like to remind people of what the organization is losing by not caucusing, bringing it back to what Courtney was talking about earlier, and also bringing it to the organization's mission or purpose. How does doing this further impact what the what the purpose and mission of the organization is and how can this kind of impact what the organization is trying to do i will also offer that they don't have to the uh, liberation is not for everybody not everybody wants to go there and if people who are responsible for the future of an organization 
leadership boards of directors. They are compensated and supported with all the institutional power given to them by the institution. If they do not want to go to the future we all long for, they don't have to go. It is up to anybody who's working with or for them to determine if that is how they want to engage. But frankly, if somebody does not want that future, they do not have to build it. And everybody who works with or for them can make choices accordingly. How is the purpose of a caucus different for privileged and oppressor identities versus marginalized and oppressed identities? My answer is, for privileged and oppressor or oppressor identities, the goal of caucusing is to dismantle the systems that actually support and uplift you. It is frankly to tear down the ladder you may be standing on. For marginalized and oppressed identities, the purpose is to take the resources from that broken ladder and build your own. And it doesn't have to be a ladder on top of people. It is frankly dismantling the systems that keep some people at the bottom and some people at the top. And if you're at the top, your job is to start taking it down. And if you're at the bottom, your job is to start taking it down from the top so that we can meet in a place that is equitable, where everybody can be seen, valued, loved, and supported. And what people need at those different positions is different. It's not going to look the same. But ultimately, the job for everyone is to you know, build a future, a better future for us all. What are common reasons people of color may be reluctant to join affinity spaces? I love this question. Um, so many reasons that all start from the workplace is a site of both great harm and great resource. Capitalism has made it so that we have to work to live. And people of color frequently have been harmed at those workplaces without spaces to exit because they need to work to live. And anything that risks the work to live is dangerous. And so sometimes people of color are reluctant to join affinity spaces or caucusing because it creates a different site for harm, maybe. It also, as I mentioned, creates vulnerability where you have to open up and say, hey, I don't like these things. And and that can invite for some retaliation. It can invite uh, discomfort. It may also be having to admit that you were harmed in ways that you may not want to deal with. So it, it becomes a, a lot of, there are a lot of barriers to uh, address it. Something I think that is particularly relevant and that actually shows this is um, a, a recent statistic that says only 97% of Black workers do not want to return to the office if they open. Only 3% of Black workers wish to go back into an office building. And I think that level <laughs> of, of, I don't know, that, that momentum, that level, that critical mass of folks are saying, in essence, the office is a space that does not work for us. Um, and that, as Nicola said earlier, everything that exists in your organization exists in caucusing. And so the same reluctance that people want to go back into the building may also uh, show up in people not wanting to join uh, caucuses. 
What are common reasons white people may be reluctant to join affinity spaces? So I think there's a variety of reasons. If at the start of this journey in an organization, um, I think that there are some white people that join an organization that confronting privilege might not be what they thought as part of what they thought they'd be doing at their workplace. You know, I mean, it can be uncomfortable to think, oh, this is this is something that I didn't think I would be doing at work. This is uncomfortable. So I think that that is one thing that, you know, can can make people uncomfortable. Once in a caucus space, um, you know, all of the other points of privilege within an organization, you know, I mean, yes, the everyone is is white within the space, but you, you might be in the space with your manager. And I think that that can can be uncomfortable if there's a question of, well, will saying something in this space make me lose my job? You know, I think there are other other things that can become uncomfortable in that space that, you know, unless you kind of have those conversations about what does it mean to be in a caucus space and kind of fears around how do I show up in this space at work? I think that people can have can have fears around kind of what what does it mean to what does it mean to show up in this in the space at work within a within the work context? How long do you need to caucus? When are you done? It's not done until racism is gone, which I don't think will happen in our lifetimes. I'll even give people a break. The day before racism is done, you can stop caucusing. <laughs> the day before. The, I enjoy that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So the day before where you're like, you know what? I think racism is finished tomorrow. You can take that day off. But no, it is. These systems are hundreds of years old. And we keep emphasizing one hour a month. It really is that. You are definitely going step by step. It will always evolve. Like it will always, you'll always get closer (laughs) and closer to building a better existence. But it will never be done because there's always improvements. You also find more things as you correct something or as you all adjust behavior as people have safer spaces they start to say more of what is wrong again this is the counterintuitive measure of success where people are like oh yeah that thing also happened or yeah this doesn't work or it it feels like a never-ending cascade and it's worth it to acknowledge that the more things you see the more things you can address and the more things people are sharing that actually means the more trust they have so, yeah, it is. And in the, the, as I think that's true, that the more you caucus, the more conversations, the more work you see that you have to do. So I think that that's totally true within organizations that it might feel like the longer you caucus, the, 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 the more work it feels like you have to do. But yeah, I think that, that, that you're totally right, that that is a good thing. That, that work was always there. You just now get to see it. And it is a gift to be able to address it. Courtney and Nicola, thanks so much for being on the podcast. If you want to dive deeper into these questions and more, register to join us for Race-Based Caucusing in the Workplace, the why and how, where we'll be exploring in more detail how to introduce and structure caucusing in your workplace, include sample agendas, frameworks, and a whole host of other resources. Plus, by being part of the course, you'll be joining a community of other people interested in this work who you can connect with and learn from as the work evolves in your life and workplace. 
To find out more about the course and to register, visit us at workshouldn'tsuck.co backslash courses. If you've enjoyed the conversation or are just feeling generous today, please consider writing a review on iTunes so that others who might be interested in the topic can join the fun too. Give it a thumbs up or five stars or phone a friend, whatever your podcasting platform of choice offers. Until next time, thanks for listening.